day is with the Lord as a thousand years. So obviously the Lord has a very different way of taking, of keeping time. And in John chapter 12, you're going to see down here in verse 32, the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about his earthly ministry, and he's going to talk about those three and a half years from his baptism to when he was taken up, that earthly ministry, when he was on the public scene, he's going to call that earthly ministry of three and a half years a little while. A little while. Three and a half years. A little while. Look at it, John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Please, please. You should put a box around all men. That includes everybody, all right? This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, we, heard out of the, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How saith thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So there he is. He's talking about his time on earth before he'd be crucified and ascend back to heaven as just a little while. Because I guess in God's math, If a thousand years is a day, then three and a half years is just a little while to the Lord. But think about that. If that's true, if that's true, isn't it amazing what God can do in just a little while? Think about all Jesus Christ accomplished in three and a half years. It was unbelievable. It changed the course of history. But it was just a little while. So if you're waiting on God for something... I want to encourage you today. He's worth the wait. He's worth the wait because the Lord can do a lot in just a little while. And I want to talk to you about that phrase here today, yet a little while, and how God has something great planned for those that could just make it through that little while, that little while. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you today. We just bless your name today. We pray we might be a blessing to you, Father, as we just consider what you have to say to us, Father. Save us from religion. Save us from lethargy. Save us from just dead orthodoxy, Lord, and just help us to look at this word with fresh eyes to see what you're trying to say to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Go to John chapter 16. We're going to bunch bounce around John a little bit here. John chapter 16. I want you to know that at his first coming... Jesus Christ brought spiritual deliverance, man, in just a little while. I mean, he saved us from our sins and defeated death and did all those things that secured your soul a place in heaven in just a little while. Look at John chapter 16. I want to show you in John chapter 16 how over and over again Jesus Christ is referring to his earthly ministry all the time as a little while, a little while. A little while. Look at John 16, 16. A little while, and ye shall not see me. All right? Go to John chapter 14. Look, go back. Walk back a couple of pages. We're going to do a lot of teaching here today. John chapter 14, verse number 19. Ah, I love to hear those pages turning. John chapter 14, verse number 19. Here's Jesus speaking again. He says, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. 
Okay, go to John chapter 13, maybe to the left a little bit. John chapter 13, verse number 33. John chapter 13, verse number 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. Now he said a lot of those at the end of his ministry, a little while. But he also said it early on in his ministry. Go to John chapter 7. He said the same thing. So it wasn't just those last few days that were the little while. It was that time on earth, those three and a half years when he was ministering, that falls under this umbrella called a little while. Look at John chapter 7. This is earlier in his ministry, and he says the same thing in John seven thirty one. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you. And then I go unto him that sent me, ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am thither ye cannot come. Over and over and over again, when he's talking about his time on earth, his time before the cross, his time before ascension, his time before leaving, he called it a little while. And can you look at verse 31? It was a life and a ministry that was full, brethren. It was a life and a ministry full of miracles, full of good works, full of just God's goodness, just boiling and just dripping off of him. He just went about doing good all the time. Look what they said in 31. Let's just boast on Jesus. When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Man, his life was had the, blame, the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers cleansed and the deaf heard and the dead were raised and he's doing all these amazing things in just a little while, in just three and a half years. Go to the last verse in the book of John, chapter 21. You want to see the postscript and the cherry on the top and how the Holy Spirit ends this great book about the identity of your Savior? Because that's what John is about. It's about who Jesus really is, the Son of God come down in the flesh. And when John and the Holy Spirit of God, writing through John, wanted to put the cherry on the top and leave you the final note that he wanted to say about this blessed Son of God who walked the earth of, of down there several years, many years ago. You know what he said in John 21, 25? And there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Woo! That means Jesus Christ did more in that little while than all the world's books could contain if we tried to write it all down. You know what that is? That's a great, great Savior. That's an amazing God. That's a, just somebody to say, I'd like to learn a little more about you. Wow. You know, the average president spends four years in power doing what? Just keeping the status quo. Just kind of like, they change a little of this, they change a little of that. But you know what they basically do? They keep the people in power in power. They keep the people stroked, getting stroked. They keep the people getting, you know, getting patted on the back, patted on the back. They don't really change anything. 
Whether they're a donkey or an elephant, they're both the same two-headed monster, and they're basically just keeping themselves in the limelight. That's, uh, if that offends you, that's just the God's honest truth. Most people are just sitting, now there's exceptions, I know, but most people in power, they just pretty much want to keep themselves in power and just keep the gravy train running for them and their cronies. But Jesus Christ, in three and a half years, which is a little shorter than a presidential term, he turned the world upside down. He changed everything. He changed everything for you. Go to John chapter 12. Let me show you. Let's go back to where we started. Don't die on me today. Need some help here. All right. John chapter 12, verse 35. Look at this. Then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. You know what Jesus Christ recognized? He recognized that his time on earth would give the world God's light. For just a little while, just a little while. You say, what kind of light was that that it made such a profound effect on the world? It could just illuminate our soul and change the way people think and regenerate the loss. What kind of light was that? That wasn't an LED. It wasn't solar. It wasn't halogen. It wasn't like incandescent. I want to tell you, what kind of light did Jesus Christ shine for just three and a half years? that it could dispel the darkness from your soul. Go to John 1. Let's look at that light. Let's look at that light. I love the song, I woke the dungeon flamed with light. What kind of light was that? John 1. Look at verse 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, meaning Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You know what that light was? That was the light that created everything. And when that creation went sideways and the devil got involved and the universe was plunged into darkness, you know what that light was? That was the light that corrected everything, that rebuilded everything, that restored everything, that put everything back the way God wanted it to be. You know what that tells me? That is powerful light. That is powerful light. Man, when the universe was thrown into chaos back there in Genesis 1-1, you know what God said? You know what the answer was? God said, I know how to fix it. Let there be light. And he led himself into the situation and Jesus Christ entered that problem and began to restore and rebuild and to repair all that the rebellion of Satan had done to the universe. Can I tell you something, friends? When sin throws your universe into chaos, you know what God's solution still is? You know what God's answer still is? You know what God is still trying to say from the very first verses of the Bible? Let there be light. Bring God's light into the situation. Get God in on the problem. You know what happens? God can rebuild and fix and restore what is broken and beyond your ability to make right. you got to open the book and let there be light. On the, find out what God says about the subject and get him in on it. Get him in on it. Look at John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, capital L, meaning Jesus Christ, that all men, oh, there it is again. You should put a box around that, all men, that all men through him might believe, not just the special club, 
all men, right? Put a box around. That all men through him might believe. Keep reading, keep reading. Um, He was not that light, meaning John, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now watch this, ready? That was the true light, which lighteth, ooh, you should put a box around this too. Every man that cometh into the world. That was the light that communed with us. That was the light that came down to touch a part of you that only God could touch. To touch that spirit in you and light that candle inside of you and illuminate your heart and illuminate your mind like only God could do. He came down to do that. You know what that tells me? That's persuasive light. That he would come down and walk among us so we could see what he's really like and be persuaded as to who he's really like, hey, that's persuasive light. That's a light that's trying to get deep down into your heart and speak to your soul and speak to your mind today and kind of touch that part. You got like a little candle inside of you. And the Bible says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. And God is trying to get inside there and light that candle and illuminate that darkness on the inside. That's persuasive light. Can I just give you a warning? Be careful of all the false light out there. There's a lot of false light out there. Among people that say things that we like to hear. And I'm going to name the names, right? I like, I'll, you might like Tucker, you might like Maddow. You might like Andrew Tate, you might like this one, you might like that one. And you'll be like, they sound conservative, they sound this, they sound that, that sounds good. They agree with my whatever, my philosophy. Can I tell you this? All that talk, if it's not about Jesus Christ, it only fans your flesh. It just riles you up, puts you further in your corner, makes you more divided from your neighbor, and puts your boxing gloves on and your shotgun ready and your powdered food in the storage hold. You know, that's what it's going to do to you. It's just going to rile you up and fan your flesh. Can I tell you, you should be captivated by the true light because Jesus Christ is the true light. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to feed your spirit. He's going to feed that part of you that's eternal and communes with God. And that's the part that really, really counts, man. No, I know. I listen to some of those folks too. Those talking heads that agree with how I see the world. And it's sometimes, it's fun to listen to that. But that shouldn't be your daily digest and your daily diet. You shouldn't be checking out Ben Shapiro before you check out the Holy Bible. Right? You should be listening to who, what Jesus Christ is saying. I know I must have gotten a strike there, you know. And some of the people that talk about free speech are some of the biggest bigots in the world out there. You don't like it when we preach in your direction either. But I'm just saying, be very careful of the false light out there. Because Jesus Christ is the true light that lighteth every man. I like what Chris Rue said when he was here on a Thursday night. He was talking about the conflict between Putin and Zelensky out there in the Ukraine. You know what he said? He said, there are no good guys in this. That's true light, right? Because I know some people want to run in this corner and put a flag up and say, I do this. Another person wants to run in that corner and say, oh, no, it's a lie. It's a this, it's that. Hey, you know what? You know what matters to God? There are souls in the middle of that thing. That's the true light. Don't get caught in all the false light. Get captivated with the true light. Amen? Amen. Oh, I lost some of you there. You're upset. You can yell at me later. John chapter 3. Or you can thank me later. John chapter 3. Let me show you something else about that light. Man, Christians, let's not get distracted is what I'm saying. Let's not get distracted with all this stuff that's going on. And because you could spend all day long going down that rabbit hole 
You know, at the end of that rabbit hole, when you took the red pill and your eyes are open and you're really woke and you're seeing everything now, you know what it did for your soul? Jack squat. It did nothing for your spiritual walk. It did nothing to get you closer to God. It just got you angry, vexed, and stewing in your own stuff with nothing that you could change because you're a helpless little peon and those people up there couldn't give two flips about what you think anyway. You know what you got power with? You got power with God. You got power with God. So you want to get captivated and get caught up and get immersed in something? Get immersed in that book. Get immersed in prayer. Get immersed in doing something for Jesus Christ. And then you could watch your little Jerusalem change and your house change and your vessel change and all the stuff that you do have control over. You can dedicate that to God and watch it just get flamed with light. John chapter 3 verse 19. I know, I'll just be excited for you because I feel like I could run a marathon right now. John, I must have put something on my cereal that I didn't eat. John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Woo! You know something else about that light? That was the light that convicted sinners. That's provoking light. You know, you walk into a dark room and you shine a flashlight and you let that beam hit the wall. Guess what? You can see the difference right away. You can see the difference between the light and the dark right away when it hits that wall. You can always see the difference. Do you know why they wanted to kill Jesus Christ? Do you? They wanted to kill Jesus Christ not because he healed lepers, They didn't want to kill Jesus Christ because he preached liberty to them that were bound. They wanted to kill Jesus Christ because his presence drew a line between good and evil. And him just being there, let them know and put them on notice that I'm right and you're wrong. I'm doing my father's work. You're of your father the devil. Right? He drew a line, man. He was not this all-inclusive, happy-go-lucky, you know, fuzzy Jesus. He was a Jesus that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but my me. He said, uh, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Those are the words of the sweet Jesus Christ that we all talk about. Amen? And that's why they don't like you. The closer you get to him, the more they're going to look at you the way they looked at him. Just your presence is going to convict them. Just the fact that you abstain from certain things is going to bother them. Just the fact that like, you want to like, take a stand on certain things, that's going to like, bug them and stick them and bother them and do all kinds of stuff to them. That's what's going on, man. That's, that's what's happening here. Don't get caught up in that, right? Don't, get it, don't let it throw you off. He said, marvel not if the world hates you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Keep going. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Look at verse number 12. John 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. Ah, oh, it's a great verse. John 8, 12. <clears throat> then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You know what that light was also? That was the light that chased away darkness. That's purifying light. Listen, man, you walk into a dark room and you turn the lights on. You know what happens? The darkness disappears. There's no place for it when you turn the lights on. The darkness just, it's gone. They can't live together. You turn the lights on and boom, the darkness is gone. Can I tell you, brethren, when you walk in the light, 
the darkness disappears from your life. The question is, are you following? He says, he that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness. Are you following? If you stay close to the light, man, you'll never be in the dark again. But the further you get from the light, the more things look foggy, the more things look murky, the more you don't understand what's going on, why is this happening? You start having all these feelings, getting bitter, getting angry, getting frustrated. Why? Because you're moving towards the dark, man. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you know what you're going to have? Fellowship with him, and he's going to just lead you in the way of everlasting. Can you go to John chapter 9, verse 5? Keep reading. I'm just, I'm just telling you about the light. This light that came down for a few years that just literally changed the world. John chapter 9, verse 5. Here's Jesus speaking again. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That was light that condescended. That light wasn't a profession or an idea or process you had to follow. You know what that light was? That light was a person that came down and said, you know who the light of the world is? I'm the light of the world. Not Christianity, Christ. Not religion, a relationship. Not just a process or a profession, but a person, me, me. I'm the light of the world. That is a personal light. That is a personal, personal light, not a process. And that's what we need, folks. This thing's got to start getting really, really personal. Isn't that like, don't punch your card today. Okay, I punched my card. I showed up to church, Pat, now you can leave me alone. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't keep tabs. I don't keep attendance. I do that for school. I don't do that for church. You know what this whole thing, though? One day soon, you're going to be face to face with that Savior who had the, craw- the crowns pressed into his brow. One day you're going to be face to face like Thomas was face to face with the Savior who could say, you want to check out the mark where they put the spear in my side? You're going to be face to face with him as sure as you sit in these chairs, sure than you sitting in these chairs. Because one day these chairs will burn and be gone, but you and Jesus Christ are going to continue forever. And listen, you got saved and you get saved. How? Through a personal relationship with the living word, Jesus Christ. I knew about him for 20 years. I recited the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, and I could tell you facts about Jesus Christ, but it was a profession. There was no possession. It was something I knew. It wasn't something I'd experienced. It was a God out there. It wasn't a Savior in here. But I got saved, and one day somebody put a bag on my door, and the thought came into my mind that that statue in St. Clair's that I stared upon for years was a man that died for my sins. And when you make that personal, that's when the lights come on. Now you're saved. If you're saved, can you give me an amen? amen. All right, good, good, good. That's good. That's very good. You know how you get strong now that you are saved? You get strength and you get strong now through a personal relationship with the written word. You got saved by a relationship with the living word and now you get strong through a personal relationship with the written word, the King James Bible that you hold in your hand. Hey, how personal is your relationship with that book? You read it this week? Is this the first time you cracked it open? If I took it, how many pages would I find stuck together, right? That is just sitting there like a table ornament. You say, I don't see God showing up in my life. I don't see my prayers getting answered. I don't see this. I don't see that. How's your relationship? How's your communication with headquarters? How is all that stuff? Keep going. 
John chapter 12, verse 46. John chapter 12, verse 46. Keep reading there. John 12, 46. I'm going to give you one more here about, about the light. John 12, 46. I am come. John 12, 46. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. You know what that light is? This is the last thing I want to say about it. That is the light that converts the soul. He says, you believe on me, you won't be in darkness. You know what that is? That's penetrating light. That's light that will get weighed down and touch something that only God can touch. And can I say this without being mean? And I'm not trying to be mean when I say this. But there is no self-help and no psychology and no 12 steps and no sacrament that can cleanse your soul. Now, sometimes you need those steps, and sometimes you need those doctors, and I'm not like throwing them out with a baby with the bathwater. I'm just saying, when it comes to the saving of your soul, there's only one light that can get that darkness out of there. That's the light of Jesus Christ. That's that kind of light. Listen, you know how I know that? Because before Jesus Christ, I tried. I tried everything. I tried going back to the old pastore, and I tried going back to the old church, and I tried the Tony Robbins seminars, and I tried the education, and I tried the Buddhist monks, and I tried the philosophy, and I tried everything because I could read, and I figured out of myself, you know what? I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but nothing could fix my inside. I was still the same person on the inside, even though I went through all these religious motions, even though I went through all these seminars, even though I read all these books, even though I tried all this stuff on the inside, I was still the same. I still struggled with the sin. I couldn't get the victory. I couldn't get the peace. I couldn't get the joy. But all of a sudden, when you believe God's light and you let God's light in, you know what it does? It pierces down to your very soul and spirit. That word of God that's quick and powerful, it just cuts like a, like a two-edged sword. It goes right past who you are. It goes past your nationality. It goes past your ethnic group. It goes past your economics. It goes past your education. It goes past all the stuff that we harp on that separates from us each other. All that gender, sex. It goes past all that stuff, and it goes right down to your soul. And it pierces, and it penetrates right down there. And that's why so many people don't want to let it in. That's why there's a world of people walking around with their proverbial fingers stuck in their ears when the Bible is brought up. From the highest to the lowest, from the United Nations down to the guy at the mission who says, get out of here. There's something in man that doesn't like that book because that book is like a flashlight on your soul. It just pierces. If you and I went on the, on the corner of Lloyd in 34 and started preaching, <laughs> Santa Claus is great! <laughs> I love the Easter Bunny. <laughs> Free car wash, spaghetti dinner, come to our Texas Holders Tournament to support our church. If we went out there and did all that preaching and did all that stuff, people would look at us and smile and wave. But you get out there and say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You get middle fingers, you get this, you get honks, you get change thrown at you, you get people yelling at you, you get all this kind of stuff. Why? Because that light goes in that window and in their ears and just cuts right down to their heart. And that Holy Ghost says, you're lost. You're lost. You're lost. You need Jesus Christ. And you say, I'm just going to drown it out. But man, one day you won't be able to. Now go to John chapter 11. How's that? That's some serious light. Would you agree? 
And you know what? That was the light that the world had been waiting for thousand years to deliver them from death. That's a long time. It's pictured in the story of Lazarus. Go to John chapter 11, or the account of Lazarus. What we see in Lazarus's account is very much what happened to the world. John 11, right? Lazarus has died. Death claimed another one in John 11. And in John eleven seventeen, 17, the Bible says, then when Jesus came, meaning to Lazarus's grave, he found that he had been laying in the grave four days already. Jesus Christ, watch the picture now in your Bible. Jesus Christ arrives at Lazarus's grave after four days. And one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. So 4,000 years. Jesus Christ didn't show up after the Garden of Eden. He showed up 4,000 years later. Jesus Christ stepped out on the scene. After 4,000 years or four days on God's calendar of death reigning, Jesus Christ shows up. Look at John chapter 11, verse 21. Look at verse 21. You know what everybody does when Jesus Christ shows up? They all say, what took you so long? We've been waiting. What took you so long, Lord? Oh, it's about time. I think some of them, if they had the guts, they would have said, hmm, thanks for showing up. You know. John eleven twenty one. 21, Martha says it. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And then Mary says it in verse number 32. She says almost the same thing. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Verse 37, all the people gathered around the tomb and some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Everybody's wondering what took you so long, Lord. But you know what happens when you read the rest of the account? God was worth the wait. Because in just that little while that Jesus was there, he changed everything. You think about it? He didn't just walk up and go right to the tomb. He was there a little while. And then he said, okay, let me get over to the tomb and take care of business. It's just like what Jesus Christ did. He came to earth after 4,000 years and he was here for a little while. And at the end of that, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to roll the stone away. And in John 11, verse 38, look what happens. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, By this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he, had thus had, uh, when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Woo, man, he's there just a little while, and he changes everything. All the waiting, all the tears, all the pain, all the where are you, God, all the why weren't you here, God, when Jesus Christ showed up right on time, he changed everything. You ask Lazarus, he defeated death and he brought Lazarus from death to life in just a little while. After four days, after a little while of being on that scene. Now, can you go to Matthew chapter four? Let me show you what the picture is, the picture of Lazarus is showing us. Matthew chapter four. Now Jesus Christ shows up on the scene in Matthew 4, for his ministry, right? He's about to start his earthly ministry. 
You know what the Bible says about that situation in Matthew 4, 16? The Bible says the people which sat in darkness saw great light. That's Jesus coming to earth. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Man, when Jesus Christ arrived on the scene at 30 years old, the world was in darkness, man. The world was in such darkness. Colossians chapter 1 calls that darkness the power of darkness. You were actually held by the power of darkness, bound by the power of darkness. That power is the power of Satan. The devil had his hold on you. He had his big kind of bear hug on you. You couldn't get free. And Hebrews chapter 2 says, the power the devil had over us was the power of death to keep you captive. He said, you're not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven. Stay down there. Stay dead. You don't have any savior. I got you under my foot. So like Lazarus, it may have taken four days. It may have taken 4,000 years for Jesus Christ to show up. But God was worth the wait, brethren. God was worth the wait because in just that little while, in just that three and a half years, Jesus Christ changed the course of history. I checked my watch today, my phone today. It's uh, October, what's today's date? October 16th? What year is it again? 2022? Where'd they get that date from? All of history was changed when one man who only walked the earth for three and a half years literally changed the face and course of history. It hangs on his coming. They could call it CE and BCE and alphabet soup and change the letters from before Christ to before the common era to the common era instead of Anno Domini and all that stuff that psychopathic lunatics try to do to pretend like it didn't happen. But let me tell you something, they still got to write October 16th, 2022. And they still got to acknowledge that about 2,000 years ago, something hit this earth that knocked it in a different direction and it has never been the same ever since. You know what that was? That was Jesus Christ whose light came to earth and changed the course of history. Don't let anybody with a PhD make you think any different. All right? That solitary life. Somebody wrote a poem once that I love. He was born in an obscure village the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of those things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead that he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together 
have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. What a Savior. What a God. You know, they have been trying to cure cancer since the 19th century. In the 1800s, they started trying to deal with cancer. You know what? People still get cancer. Still happens. They've been trying to cure the common cold for thousands of years. You can go back to 1500 BC and see doctors trying to give medical advice for what we know today is the common cold. You know what? People are still getting colds. Call it whatever you want to call it. Call it the Rona. Call it the this. You know what it's become now, folks? It's a cold. Right? People are still getting colds like they've always gotten colds and that's what's going to keep on going on. But can I tell you, they've been trying to cure it forever and they can't. How frustrating for man. You can't even stop a virus. You can't even stop a cold. You can't even stop a thing. But you know what? In just a little while, Jesus Christ abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He is worth the wait. Because man, when he shows up, he does something amazing that's beyond explanation. That was just his first coming. But can I tell you, folks? I'll tell you at home, too. He's coming again. He's coming again. And when he comes again, oh my, he's going to do something pretty amazing. Can you go to John chapter 16 again? Let me just show you something about the second coming. I'm not going to be as long here. John chapter 16. Look at John chapter 16. Look at verse 16 again. John 16, 16. At his second coming, Jesus Christ will bring not just spiritual deliverance, he will bring complete deliverance in just a little while. Just going to be a little while. Watch this, John 16, 16. I want you to notice that Jesus Christ is going to refer to the time on earth before his second coming as a little while. Just like he did it the first time. He said, I'm going to be here for a little while. Then he says, I'm coming again, and it's going to be a little while before I come. Watch, John 16, 16. A little while, and you shall not see me, first coming. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, second coming. Because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. And because I go to the Father, he looked at them like you look at me half the time. Like, what? What are you talking about? A little of this and a little of that. What's going on? Verse number uh, 18. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me. So he's talking about that little bit of time before he comes again. And he calls that little bit of time a little while. It was a little while the first time I was here. And then I went to heaven, and now I'm coming back. It's going to be a little while, and then I'm going to come back. First coming, second coming. First earthly ministry, second earthly ministry. Let me give you a little food. Now, look at verse 20. You know what he's talking about? That little while that's yet to come? He's talking about the coming tribulation that's going to come before his second advent. He said, I'm gone, and then it's going to be a little while, and then I'm going to come again. And that little while is going to be the great tribulation. The world is going to get turned upside down. And at the end of that, I'm going to do something that's going to make your socks jump off. I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness and a kingdom that will never be moved. 
You see, you say, how do you know that's a tribulation he's talking about? I just read the next verse. It's very simple. Just keep reading your Bible. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. That's all tribulation. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into a joy. A woman, there's the nation of Israel, that's the woman in travail. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. You say, where do you see the tribulation, Pat? I see sorrow. I see a woman in travail. I see disciples that are going to see Jesus Christ the second time. You've never seen him a first time. They're going to see him again. You're waiting to see him for the first time. This group, they're going to see him again when he comes. And it says, and in that day, every time God used that expression, in that day, he's talking about coming again. He says, when I come back, you're not going to have any prayer requests then. So he's coming back. So can I give you a little food for thought? This is for the Bible scholars in the room. If this doesn't make sense to you, just let it go over your head with half the other stuff I say. Everybody argue, how long is the tribulation? How long is the tribulation? Is it seven years? Is it three and a half years? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's, here's my two cents to give you some food for thought. If the first little while was three and a half years, then shouldn't the second little while be three and a half years? Just, just food for thought, just some food for thought for you. Now go to Job chapter 24. Go to Job 24. Let me circle the wagons here. Job 24. You know, before the second coming of Christ, the world will be consumed by darkness in the Great Tribulation. I got terrible news for you, folks. It ain't getting better. It ain't getting freer. It ain't getting more prosperous. It ain't getting more Christian. It's just going to rot. It's an apple that's been plucked off the tree of life, and it's just going to sit there and keep rotting because it's separated from the one who is life and you can't have anything good apart from Jesus Christ and the world is just going to keep rotting and rotting and rotting away. I'm sorry, I wish I could tell you it's wonderful news. That's why half the place is empty. But you know what? That's just the God's honest truth. I feel sometimes like Jeremiah at the end of the nation of Judah, he didn't have great news to deliver. He just said, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. And brethren, it's going to get rough. I think we'll be gone for most of it, praise the Lord. But during that great tribulation time when the church is caught out and the world is completely given over to the devil, it's going to be rough. And we're headed in that direction. You could see kind of the embers of that fire on the horizon. And in Job chapter 24, you start to see thousands of years ago, Job is asking the questions and talking about stuff that we're dealing with today and we're thinking about coming tomorrow. Look at Job 24 verse 1. Look at it says, why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? You know what he's saying? Why do the wicked prosper? You ever ask that question? I'm sure you're so pious you would never ask that question. But you ever wondered, why do the wicked thrive? Why does it look like they keep getting away with it? Why do they seem like they're doing so well and I'm crying and praying and I don't know what's going on, God? Job asked that question thousands of years ago. Have you ever asked that question? 
And then he keeps going. He starts describing these rascals that just seem to be getting away with everything. In verse number two, Job 24, two, he says, some remove the landmarks. They got no respect for Israel. They got no respect for the church. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof. So they're stealing stuff from people. They're stealing your 401ks. They're stealing your savings. They're stealing your wealth. And they're just gobbling it all up like a bunch of monsters. They drive the ass away. They drive away the ass of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They show no mercy. Even the widow they pillage. Even the the fatherless they take advantage of. There's no mercy. There's no decency. Am I preaching to anybody today? Keep reading verse 4. They turn the needy out of the way. The people that need Jesus Christ, they make it impossible to get to Jesus Christ. They try to block the way so they can't even find the truth. The poor of the earth hide themselves together. Behold, as wild asses in the desert, go they forth to their work. Rising betimes for a prey, the wilderness yieldeth food for them and for their children. Man, it's like they go to work, they go out, and everything seems to be going A-OK for them. Like, God, what is going on? Man, we know God sees everything, amen? But aren't you waiting for God to make everything right? Job was waiting for it way back then. And if you're saved, something in you right now is like, Lord, when are you going to fix this? Like, when are you going to right the ship? When are you going to steer things in the direction they're supposed to go? <clears throat> and then he says something in verse 13. He's been talking about this crowd. And then he says in verse number 13, they are of those that rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the paths thereof. The murderer rising with the light killeth the poor and needy, and in the night is as a thief. The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me, and disguiseth his face. In the dark they dig through houses which they had marked for themselves in the daytime. They know not the light. It's like he's sitting there and he's seeing all this evil and all this mischief. And it's like Job is thinking, how long is the Lord going to let these rebels just keep ravaging in the dark? How long is this going to continue? How long is this going to be going on? You know what that tells me? There's always been evil in the world. Right? There's always been murderers and there's always been people doing dastardly things. They wrote about it thousands of years ago. But can I tell you, like the Bible says today, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. It's getting worse, brethren. I mean, I was looking up some statistics. You know, there are over 40 million victims of human trafficking every year in the world. 40 million. These are kids getting sold as sex slaves. These are people getting put into slavery. People getting, you know, bound and imprisoned and being used by people. 40 million. 40 million people every year are being trafficked against their will. That's, that blew my mind. There are over 400,000 murders every year. Those are the ones they count on this supposedly peaceful planet called Earth. Crazy, man. You know what the part that's even scariest? There are over 360 million Christians. Three, let me say that number again. 360 million Christians experiencing high levels of persecution 
and discrimination in the world right now. One in seven Christians worldwide is in danger because of their faith. One in seven, folks. One in seven. So can I quote Louis Armstrong and just give a little bit of a change to it? And I think to myself, what a wicked, wicked world. I know you don't like that, but you need to hear it. It's wicked. You know who said it? God said it. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 1 verse 4, this present evil world. That's where you're living right now. This present evil world. And in 1 John chapter 5, the Apostle John is getting a glimpse of the tribulation times and he says, the whole world lieth in wickedness. That's where we're headed. That's where this thing culminates in the great tribulation. Now look at verse 24. Unless, I know I've depressed you now by design. I kind of put the little somber, oh, I'm having a barbecue today. I was going to go get some Panera bread and some Starbucks. And now you, oh man, you're really raining on my parade. Have your Panera, have your Starbucks, enjoy your picnic. I'm not trying to rain on your parade. I'm just saying, splash a little cold water on your face. This is where you're living. We're close to the end, brethren. we got to push and make it through the ticker tape because the crowd is waiting to cheer us home. And in Job 24, 24, the Lord says this, speaking about the tribulation. Watch this. You see the words? They are exalted for a little while. See that? That little while. The evil that's been growing and growing and that mystery of iniquity that's been growing and growing. When it comes to that tribulation time, that evil's gonna be exalted under the Antichrist in the great tribulation. But God reminds you, it's only gonna be for a little while. It's only gonna be about three and a half years that they're gonna look like they're really running the show. And then you know what he says in the next breath? They're exalted for a little while, but are gone (laughs) and brought low. They are taken out of the way as all other and cut off. You might want to note that little phrase, cut off as the tops of the ears of corn. It says they're going to get this power. This antichrist is going to rise to power. There's going to be this one world religion, this one world government, this one world currency. And as much as that makes you sad, God's rejoicing. He's saying, as soon as they grow up, I'm going to whack them. I'm going to cut them off like a stalk of corn that's grown and blooming. And I'm going to cut their heads right off and drop them to the ground and bring in my kingdom. So don't you get too worried, brethren. Don't you get too worried. God says, I'm going to cut them off. Even when that evil has grown so strong and it looks so profound, it looks like, oh, Lord, what's going to happen now? Where are you? God's like, I'm going to show up right on time. I'm going to make everything right. And I'm going to knock your socks off. It's going to be so amazing. Man, the devil has been sowing his seeds for thousands of years. He's been working this plan out since the beginning, man. He's been trying to infiltrate and mess things up. And can you just picture it? Just when those seeds bloom in the great tribulation and begin to show forth their fruit, God comes along and cuts them all down to the ground. You know what that makes me want to do? Cheer. It makes me want to rejoice. It makes me want to hail my captain. It makes me want to slap this pulpit and run around with my Bible saying, Hail Jesus! Hail Jesus! Hail Jesus! Because as bad as you think it's going to get, you're not going to win. God wins! He's going to win. Keep reading. Go to Psalm 37. So what do we do? Go to Psalm 37. What is God's counsel for this little while? 
What do those people in the tribulation do while they're waiting on that deliverance? And what do we do right now, right here, waiting on our own deliverance? We'll look at Psalm 37. I got just two passages left here. I'll hurry. Psalm 37, verse 1. You know what he says first? Fret not. Psalm 37, 1. Fret not. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Don't get your underwear all twisted. Don't get all in a bind. Don't get all vexed. Don't get sucked into a YouTube loop watching all these videos that get you all, you got to watch this one. I know it's exciting. It's interesting. It's like watching a train accident in slow motion. But it's like, don't let that consume you. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Just look like, just because they look like they're running the table, don't get envious. We know what their end is. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. You know what you should do? How about the next verse? Trust in the Lord and do good. Get out there and do some Operation Jerusalem. Take some packets and try to help your neighbors get to Jesus Christ. Let's save as many people from the burning train as we can before it goes over the cliff. Do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. God say, you do good, and I'll always take care of you. I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread, the psalmist writes. So you don't worry about your powdered food and your bunker. You know what you got to do? You got to get close to God and sell out for him. And God says, I'll take care of you. Even if I got to feed you with manna from heaven, I'll make sure you got enough bread in the wilderness. You need God is who you need. You need God. Keep reading. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Oh, we delight in so many things. How about you get excited about God? Get excited about the Bible. Get excited about prayer. Get excited about the fact that there's this God waiting for you who loved you enough to die for you and has such great plans for you. How about that? Five, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You got to trust him and commit to him. You know what? If I go over here and I hold something out to my friend Kristen over here and I say, here, this is yours, and, I, and she tries to take it, but I keep holding on to it, I'm not really trusting her with it. Here, you can take this. Take this. I just, sometimes to really trust God, you got to let it go and give it to him, and he'll do something with it. Verse 6, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light. You won't have to avenge yourself. God will avenge you. God says, I'll let them know who is right and wrong. You just keep doing good, and I'll bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Here's verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. That could be the Antichrist. That could be any Antichrist in your life, that wicked man. Cease from anger. Don't get angry. Don't get vengeful. And forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Don't get even. Don't get, don't get your vengeance on. Don't you'll show them. Why not? For evildoers shall be, there's that word again, cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And watch 10, there's our phrase again in verse 10. So you don't think I'm crazy for yet a little while. And the wicked shall not be. 
Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. Oh, brethren, that's God's instructions for those believers waiting on God in the great tribulation. But you know what? It's good, good advice for anybody waiting on God in any tribulation. Look at verse number 34. Wait on the Lord. Keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. Now again, doctrinally, that's about a Jew in the tribulation waiting for God to come and split the eastern sky. But right now, if you're going through something, you're going through trouble, you could take great spiritual instruction from that. Look at verse number 35. Keep reading 35. See what it says? I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree, like a shrub that just keeps going out this way and keeps growing and can be shaped into any shape you want. Just a big bush just growing out, growing out. He says... Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Brethren, no matter how much it looks like we're losing, deliverance comes in just a little while. As bad as it's going to be in the Great Tribulation, it's just a little while, and then it's going to be okay. You know how I know that? Because at his first coming, the world looked bleak. But Jesus Christ, I lost my place. Oh, where are I? At his first coming, the world looked bleak, but Jesus Christ delivered our souls after just what? A little while. So at his second coming, the world is going to look so bad, but Jesus Christ is going to make it so right after a little while. 37, ready? Mark the perfect man, pay attention to the right guy. And behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be, there it is again, cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And here, brethren, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Woo, hallelujah. Go to Hebrews 10. We're going to finish in Hebrews 10. I got one passage left here. Hebrews 10. Now, doctrinally, that's a lot about the tribulation, but you could take a lot out of that for yourself. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. There's another passage in Hebrews that's meant for the Jew in the tribulation directly, but you and I could take a lot of spiritual advice from it. You know what he tells those believers in the tribulation in Hebrews 10? Stuff that we could take away right here in 2022. He says in Hebrews 10, verse number uh, 35, he says, Hebrews 10, 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. He's saying, don't give up on God. Don't forsake your confidence just because it looks rough and it looks dark. He's going to come make it right. He says, for ye have need of patience. A tribulation worketh patience. And you need patience in the great tribulation to make it through and endure until the end to be saved. But when you're going through your tribulation, you know what you need? You need patience. Bible says patient in tribulation, Romans 12, 12. You got to be patient in tribulation. Wait patiently for him. For you have need of patience. After you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Watch it now, 37. Watch it again. For yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Amen. Listen, brethren, it may seem like he's taken forever, but he's only asking you to wait a little while. I'll be back in a little while. It might be a few years, but he says, just wait a little while. 
And look, he says in verse 38, he says, now if the just, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Hey, if you trusted God to save you, have you? Let me get an amen to wake you up. Did you trust God to save you? Louder. Did you trust God to save you? Okay. If you trusted God to save you, will you trust that same God to always be right on time? He's always right on time. He that will come will come and will not tarry. We say, if the Lord tarries, I'll do this. If the Lord tarries, we'll get a building. If the Lord tarries, I'll go do this. You know, it's an expression we use, but it's wrong. The Lord never tarries. He's never late. He just has long suffering so that others might be saved. But he's going to come when it's time to come. He's going to come in his perfect timing. In verse 39, he says, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now just put yourself, put your great tribulation glasses on now. In the great tribulation, in that future time, many are going to forsake Jesus Christ and follow the son of perdition, the Antichrist himself. So you read verse 39 with your great tribulation glasses on, and it makes a lot of sense. But can I tell you this? If you follow the son of perdition in the great tribulation, he's saying you're going to face perdition. You're going to face loss. You're going to face destruction. You're going to face ruin. And the people that follow the Antichrist will be ruined with him. But here's the good news. You're not going through the great tribulation. You're not going through that time for God hath not appointed us to wrath. We're not going through that time. That's a time that's coming on the world and coming on Israel. We're going to be caught out of here. God's taken his church. Jesus Christ is coming to call his church home. So you don't have to worry about signing up for a mark and getting cut off and God sending you into perdition. All that stuff is for the future time. Even if you took a shot or got a tattoo or they stuck something on your forehead that said, I love the devil. You know, I don't think you'd do that. But guess what? That stuff can't get down into your soul. The Bible says you're sealed unto the day of redemption. And one day the Savior is coming to redeem you, body, soul, and spirit from the earth. He's going to come and take you home. But the question still remains, even though doctrinally you're not going through the great tribulation and not losing what they could lose, the question still remains, what are you willing to lose now if you stop waiting on God? Some people in the tribulation are going to give up waiting on God. They're going to say, I can't follow God anymore. I got to follow this other Christ. And God said, it's going to destroy them. What are you willing to lose for not waiting on God, for putting your hands to it? for taking matters into your own hands, for doing what you want to do and just... Can I tell you, if your faith is about to fail, can you just listen to the Holy Spirit whisper right now? Yet a little while. Yet a little while. Yet a little while. Just hold on, brother. Yet a little while. Hold on, sister. Yet a little while. He that will come will come and will not tarry. Charles Spurgeon said, if the Lord Jehovah makes us wait... Let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are all they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith, exercises patience, trains submission, and endears the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been a waiting people. That's what Spurgeon said. And I know we may live in a world where we've been trained to hate being made to wait. We want it yesterday. But the Lord asks you to just wait 
a little while before he does something amazing. If he could just wait a little while. You know, back there in John 12, I'm just going to read it if you want to read it with me. John 12, 36. Jesus, it says this. We read it earlier, but let me just read it again, then we'll pray. John 12, 36 says, Jesus says, While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. I wonder how many Jews in Jesus' time missed the blessing because they wouldn't believe. So Jesus said, you don't want the light? I'm out of here. And he hid himself from them. And I wonder sitting here today, how many of you, how many of me, how many of us will miss God's best because you wouldn't believe he'd make it all right in just a little while. Don't lose the faith. Yet a little while. And God's going to do something amazing. They that wait on him will not be ashamed. Let's stand for prayer. Amen.